They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Um, I, all the stuff that I've heard of you, I really like. And I mean, I've you were one of the best ninjas I've ever seen on a web show. I'll say that much. Oh yeah, somebody that knows that. That makes me so happy. I, are you kidding? I got fired while because I was watching that instead of working one time many many years ago. Oh my god, we should have saved that for the show. Welcome back, everybody, to Shooting the Shit with Chippa, a podcast that's strangely like the Chipman Brothers tangent, except Movie Bob is nowhere to be found, and I've replaced him with other people. Um, tonight, my guest is... Here, I already forget how to pronounce your name, and I've done that live on air. I'll let you introduce <laughs> yourself, buddy. Karu Nagisa. There we go. Karu Nagisa, frequent commenter, um, liker, sharer, and all-around great Twitter friend that I now get to talk to. Um, live on the air, and we're going to get to know each other. So um, with that, I'll let you give a little introduction of who you are, where you're coming from, and then we will get into our icebreaker of right quote, wrong movie. Okay. Um, not a whole lot to say. I'm, uh, I'm I'm a nerd like so many others that have been on this show and um, are in your orbit. Um, mostly a comic nerd. That's my thing. Um, awesome. I do my uh, YouTube show about comic books, uh, try to do deep dives and, you know, close readings. I have an English degree, so basically I just apply that. that I, you know, learned to do to movies and novels. I apply it to comic books as well. It's kind of fun. Awesome. But, yeah. But that, that's kind of that's kind of me in a nutshell. I'm, you know, I'm from Orlando. Nice. Yes. From from America's penis. Exactly. <laughs> In fact, I'm pretty nice. sure I see Florida man doing something stupid out my window right now. Oh, sweet. Well, what is he doing? Is Has he gone full rabid yet? Not yet, no, but he seems to be standing on my fence howling. I, oh. I, what? what I, hold on. No, seriously. Is this serious? A little bit. And he's gone. Sh Holy shit. <laughs> I kind of feel like texting my friend Fred right now who lives in Tampa that we joke is just Florida man. <laughs> is he in Orlando? Cause he no, he's in Tampa. Right we, we always share the, uh, the Florida man tweets and stuff. Fair. And go, Fred. And yeah. he's like, I wasn't there. I swear he was, sure he, he was actually my, um, my first guest on shooting the shit with Chippa. I don't know if you've heard that episode, I but he, I'm going to have to listen to that one now. Fred, for, so, so let me give you, like, again, this is your show, but Fred, just to give you a preempt, yeah. he wrote a part of a book that just got released. He went to the University of Chicago. You ever heard of Tucker Max? Yes. Tucker Max lived in the dorm room across from him. Oh. Um, they went to college at the same time, and he said uh, he's got a wonderful picture of Tucker Max on a night when a bunch of like him and his girlfriend, Fred and his girlfriend, who's now his wife, and a bunch of people were going out to actually, you know, be social. And Tucker was, you know, sitting in his dorm room in his underwear playing video games. <clears throat> and um, he got a picture of Tucker having to zip up his uh, wife, now wife's um, dress. And he says, it's the funniest damn picture because Tucker was such a prick. And now I have this picture of him doing that. And I'm like, that's awesome. Um, but but he, that's not the coolest thing. He um, attempted to win the University of Chicago scavenger hunt by um, making a, uh, a nuclear breeder reactor and actually succeeded. 
And so the name of the book is We Made Uranium and Other Stories from the University of Chicago Scav Hunt. And so I had him on the show to talk about that. And so that's what the first episode's about. That is awesome. Yeah, he's a nut bar. <laughs> he sounds it, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally going to be listening to that during work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, he's a nut bar. He actually came up from Florida and, and stayed with us for a night just to record that episode, cool. which I thought was really cool. Yeah. But yeah, and, and, and enough about that. Um, so is Florida man away now? He's hasn't. He's not yeah, breaking into your apartment. It, it it seems to be. Yeah, he seems to be gone. He's he's not. He's nowhere near my house. Well, he might be near my house, but I can't see him anymore. So I think we're good. Well, at least at least we have this on the air now. If um, if yeah. Florida man shows up, there we go. I'll let you know. Howling at the moon. So are the bath salts real good in Orlando? Is that what's going on? <laughs> Gotta be. Such a quiet neighborhood, too. I don't know what the hell just happened. <laughs> so, so, okay, cool. So, b- before I get into the game, then, so Orlando, I know Orlando a little bit. Whereabouts are you in Orlando? Um, I am on the east side of Orlando. I'm actually in Altamont Springs, which is part of the metro, but it's not, you know, usually most people don't, when you start talking, Altamont and Maitland and Le- Longwood, you're like, what, what? I just say Orlando, but yeah, I'm in Altamont Springs. Cool, cool. I have. I have a funny Orlando story for for a quick aside. I um I went to grad school at the University of Massachusetts Lowell, and there's a giant nerd conference, a modal analysis conference. So you know, real uh, real um, oh yeah, yeah, just a real 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 great time, full of very attractive people. Let me tell you, and <laughs> um, uh, it's sponsored by InBev, the Belgian beer distributor. And so they always have a hospitality night and they, you know, it's, it's right in Orlando. It was usually at the Gaylord Springs golf hotel, which is right over there off, yeah. um, off in international or universal Ave or whichever one that is. And let's just say, so we were at the house of blues in Orlando mm-hmm. and we were drinking Chimay. Are you a beer drinker? I am a beer drinker, but I'm unfamiliar with Chimay. Okay. So Chimay is a 9% Belgian quadruple. Okay. Um, and so it's it's lighter fluid, and it's wonderful. And <laughs> I was just like 22 years old. So I loved craft beer, but it never delved into the Belgians. And so they're pouring 22-ounce glasses of this because they just brought in cases of it and said, pour it out for the people at the conference. So, you know, you have four 22 ounce glasses of a 9% beer. And I told my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, I'm the designated driver tonight. So what happened was because we all got so wasted on Chimay, we left the car and walked back to the hotel. But here's the funny thing is my walk back from the hotel was a one mile walk up a straight road. Yeah. It took me from one in the morning till four 30 to find the hotel. (laughs) Um, I got lost in the middle of a construction site. I lost my shoes. I found them back. I I stumbled upon signs that said, don't enter here with pictures of crocodiles. Yep. Um, Yeah. So I was like, "Hmm, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Like, cause I, I, I went from, you know, highly populated, you know, international drive to the middle of nowhere and don't quite know how I got there. Yeah, and the um, Gaylord's got all that land around it, so yeah. you have no idea exactly how far you're going until you actually get there. It was it was absolute chaos. So then the next morning we walk into the conference, and I'm walking in with my buddy Dana, you know, and we're you know all pumped and ready to go. We both have a presentation that day, and the lady at the front desk goes, "Oh my God, I'm surprised you guys are so buddy buddy this morning." I go, "Why?" 
She goes, you don't remember what you did last night? And I'm like, what the hell, man? Like, this isn't me. Like, it's it's the beer, I swear. And Dana and I look at each other, and neither one of us remembered. And all of a sudden, I get this flash of me picking up a, a margarita and dumping it over his head at, <laughs> at, at, Howl, at Howl at the Moon. Oh. And then the guy at the bar saying, hey, why'd you do that to your friend? And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And I grabbed another one and dumped it over my own head. So we both go reaching up and our hair is full of sugar. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) And then my graduate advisor walks around the corner just shaking his head. Now, this inspired future students the following year to make shirts that said, if found drunk and intoxicated, please return to one University Ave, University of Massachusetts Lowell. Attention, Peter Evitable, our graduate advisor. <laughs> so it was a fairly harmless thing, but I'm like, oh my god, yeah. So this is or this is what happens when I'm in Orlando by myself. Yeah, you're, you're lucky you didn't end up uh, wandering to Ice Bar after that. <laughs> oh no, we didn't go to Ice Bar that time, but I have been to Ice Bar. Yeah. The other weird thing about Howl at the Moon is there were dudes in the bathroom that like gave you a rub down while you were taking a leak. Yep. And again, I mean, some people are probably into that, but it was really weird. Like, uh, I mean, I get, yeah, I get like the, you know, hot towel and everything, but they would like stand behind you and give you a back massage. And so it became a joke, like to everybody, like, dude, go take a piss. (laughs) (laughs) Cause it's like, I mean, I, I didn't, I mean, they didn't have like anything that said they worked there. I didn't, I mean, it's all good. You know, like if you're going to come onto a random guy in a bathroom, all bets are off. Like, whatever. Yeah. I'll. <laughs> Sorry. <Is> that, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's happened to me at gay bars before. I have to sit there and go, oh, God, no, I'm the straight guy here tonight. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh, my God, it's always the fucking same. I always find the one guy. Why are you here? I'm like, my wife is friends with the people in the band. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I always felt like <laughs> such a jerk. <laughs> and then and then you get the one guy who's just like, shame. And I'm like, oh, that actually boosted my confidence a little bit. All right. Oh yeah, that's always that's always great. Uh, that's always great when you're at a gay bar and some dude is like coming on to you. And when you find if he finds out, well, I wouldn't know, but if he finds out that you're not really in, or assumes that you're straight at the very least, it's like, ah, oh, it's too bad. I'm like, yeah, that that's kind of nice. I mean, oh yeah, I, but I, it, I'm bi, but it's oh, like, there you a go. Shirt that says majestically bisexual, actually. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that, dude. Yeah. <laughs> good, good on you. Yeah, but it's one of those. Still, it's 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 always a nice feeling when just kind of a stranger is disappointed that they're not going to get with you. Yeah, I felt you know, and this this you know, he was much younger than me, and I'm just like, I ruined this fucking guy's night. So you know, I bought him a drink, and I'm like, dude, you're going to be fine. Like, you're going to find somebody tonight. Like, I felt so bad because it's like, oh. you know, I don't want to be the reason somebody you know like runs off and you know does something awful you know what i mean like yeah. i don't want to be that guy um but uh you know my my buddy paul is by and you know we worked at blockbuster together he's been on this show and he pulled me aside because he's like he goes out of everyone i've worked with here because this was in like the late 90s early 2000s he goes you're the only one that seems progressive enough to hear this so i'm going to tell you i'm bisexual and i looked at him and he was my friend so i could joke with him because he was wearing rainbow suspenders and had long like like bright red hair and i go paul <laughs> paul i know yeah <laughs> and he's like really and i'm like yeah dude it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's always it's always fun coming out to people and they're like yeah i know 
It's oh, he just, you know, I felt, I felt bad because he was like worried it was going to like end our friendship. I'm like, are you serious? Like, how have I come off that way? Yeah. Like, I... <laughs> but anywho, yeah. So, so yeah, that's my Orlando experience that turned into, um, you know, that conversation. So that's good. Um, cool, man. So uh, I will explain right quote wrong movie. It was meant to be an icebreaker, but we just had a little icebreaker there. But yeah. I want to move into it because this is fun and I'll talk for so long that I'll forget to do it. So yeah. I will explain right quote wrong movie is played just like Cards Against Humanity. Are you a fan of Cards Against Humanity? I am indeed. All okay. of our parties end with that. Awesome. So um, the idea is that you have 10 movie quotes or you should have 10 movie quotes. I have 10 movie quotes and I have 10 movie quotes in front of me. And that's your hand of cards. Like it would be in cards against humanity. Those are your white cards. And you are going to pick a number between three and one forty-five that is going to generate a title of a movie and to make it easy because you know, we're both friends. If neither of us want to do that movie, we can skip it because there's some movies that I'm sure aren't going to be as fun as others, or we might just not know them. But the yeah. idea is you need to match up that movie with a quote that you think would either be funny or ironic. Um, an example, Ghostbusters. If someone asks if you're a god, you say, yes, the passion of the Christ. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's the idea. So pick a number between 3 and 145, my good friend. Let's start with 22. 22. Dirty Harry. Is that an acceptable film? Uh, that is an acceptable film. Let's see what I got here. Uh, All right. And you get to go first because you're the guest and it's my show. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Hmm. hmm. How funny do I want to make this? Very. I want to make this as funny as possible. Uh... Help is on the way, dear. Mrs. Doubtfire. That's awesome, dude. And and then so you got to envision like what character is it in Dirty Harry? Is it just straight up Clint Eastwood? Oh yeah, like that, running that up the road doing that. There's definitely Harry. And <laughs> is and is he in drag? Yes, yes he oh, is. Man, okay. So even though this will happen out of order, I think it would just be hilarious to hear Dirty Harry say this, even though the film it's from came later. It's not a man purse. It's called a satchel. Indiana Jones wears one. The hangover. <laughs> yes. So um, between the two of us, and again, I'm going to let the fans um, vote too when I put this up, but between the two of us, which one do you think is better? Because this is the honor system where we're both gentlemen here. I'm honestly going to go with yours. I kind of am too, even though I yeah. loved yours. Until I, th- until I saw this one, I was like, oh, cool, perfect. All right, so round one to the chippa. Three to 145, good sir. Pick again. Um... 117. Army of Darkness. Ah, the old standstill. I love Army of Darkness. All right, you get to go first again, because why not? Okay. I'm going to go with, you are one ugly motherfucker. Predator. That's going to be hard to beat. Okay. That's badass saying it. Good ass. (laughs) Nice. All right, I've got this. Is this a job for an intelligent man? Well, show me one and I'll ask him. Tremors. <laughs> That's good, too. I still think yours is pretty damn good, though. I could Thank just you. see Bad Ash just completely busting Ash's balls with that. Yeah. By the it's... way, have you seen Ash vs. Evil Dead? 
I saw the first season. I still have to catch up on the other two. Oh, like I have them available. Keeps, I just haven't watched them yet. It just keeps getting better. Oh. Like it, it really ended on such a high note. Like season one is incredible, but it's incredible in how different it is. Like yeah. they took the movies and did it in episodic, like monster of the week format. And it worked really well. And then season two just adds to the mythos so much. And then season oh. three is season three is just a love letter. Season three is just bonkers. Oh, that um, that's what I like. I, I am such a world building geek. So adding to the mythos is absolutely my jam. You know what I thought was really cool about it is that Ted Raimi is like one of the big creating forces behind that show. Like, you know, Sam's the producer on it and he directed the premieres of each of the seasons. But Ted like wrote almost all of it and directed a couple of the episodes and he's in a bunch of it. Oh wow! It's just like, oh, it's it's really cool to see him pop up. Like he's having a really good time. Yeah, that's great. And, and they they totally put him back in a costume that he had to wear in one of the old movies too. And I'll I'll leave it. Oh, at that. But oh okay. I know what they it just is. Tortured him. <laughs> <laughs> and the the second and third season do a ton more practical. Like you could tell they convinced them that they could get a budget to do more practical effects instead of the CGI blood and stuff. Yeah. So the second and third season they. They go far more old school with everything. Oh, and that it, is it, all right. That's got to be on my priorities. I've been my wife and I have been working our way through the Phantasm movies, kind of oh, in awesome. our spare time. Awesome. Uh, so maybe when we're done with that, we'll actually catch up on Ash vs. Evil Dead. Where I've also been watching Doom Patrol, which is so good. Oh, I gotta check that out. That looked great. It is. If if you like stuff that is really super surreal and kind of just absolutely bonkers out of there, Doom Patrol is definitely the way to go. And uh, Friend you of mine what? is a stunt person on it, and oh, cool. it's so cool. Yeah, you know what I just finished was um, Twilight Zone, the new one or the original? Yeah, no, I've I've seen everything of the original, the new yeah. one, the new I, one. I've, I saw the first episode. I have yet to watch more of that. It's there's so it's, many things I need to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not. It's not something I'd say like jump right out there, and and not that I don't like it. It's just it's it's um. It's really good, but it also it makes some mistakes that don't ruin the episodes, but they they obviously didn't have confidence in some of it. So they they do the over explained thing. Like, have you ever seen like like M. Night Shyamalan pull off a really good twist, but then like two movies later do one that should be as awesome, but then he just ruins it by overdoing it? Yes. This, this oh, show absolutely. does this show does that a couple times where you're just like, oh God, that was such a good episode and you just didn't stick the landing. But yeah. I but I really like it and I'll I'll give you not a spoiler warning for anything that happens in the episode, yeah. but they, they do a meta episode to end it. Oh it is cool. Such a celebration of the entire franchise where Jordan Peele is doing his opening shtick. Where like you know you, you know all the Twilight Zone set up yeah they they set up the episode and then in walks Rod Serling or Jordan Peele and they give the picture a world blah 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 welcome you know yeah. Misty McGonagall to the Twilight Zone mm-hmm. he starts one and then goes you know what we can do better and and calls out the writer and goes get over here and then the episode's about her and like it becomes a Twilight Zone episode but like um um New Nightmare style where oh, it's happening nice. to the and so, like, Jordan Peele and the actors from the episode, which is, like, Seth Rogen and a couple other people are all in it, but the the creepy stuff's happening to them. 
Oh, very cool. And and they they end it with a really good like nod to the entire franchise that I really liked. Like it was so it's it's not a perfect season of a show, but it's so damn ambitious and it's it bleeds Twilight Zone. It's just the Twilight Zone all day. The Twilight you know? Zone is one of those shows that just every single iteration of it has been its own love letter to itself yeah. and it works. Like, like did you did you like the first episode? Did you like the comedian? Yeah, I really did. Cool. I really so enjoyed that's, it. That's about there might be one or two episodes that are better than that, but yeah. that's about the pinnacle of what they're going for. Is oh, is good. there's a lot of episodes like that. Yeah, it it um it's about as good as the first episode of the nineteen eighties one. Yes. Which I think was phenomenal. I mean, based on a Harlan Ellison short story and starring up and comer Bruce Willis before he yep. was even in moonlighting. Yep. And their um their version of terror at 30,000 feet with Adam Scott is, is really good, but that's one of the ones that completely over explains itself. And I'm, it's just a bummer. Cause the setup is so cool. Have you heard about the setup for it? I have not heard about the setup for it. No, he's re- he's listening to a podcast that he finds on like an old zune in the plane. Yeah. That's depicting the events of this flight that's gone missing, but it's the flight he's on. Ah. So it's making him be super paranoid about what's happening on the plane instead of it being like a gremlin on the wing or anything. And I'm like, this is great. Well, that How is cool. Are... And they they just they they ended a scene too late. Let's just ah. say <laughs> and it's kind of a bummer because yeah. the rest of the episode is so good. But um, we'll finish off round three. Oh, round three. Yes. Wrong movie. Three to one forty five. Go. Um. Let's go with three. Ooh. 2010, the year we make contact. The sequel to 2001 A Space Ooh, Odyssey, directed that... by Rennie Harlan. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that's a tough one. I yeah. seen that. I haven't seen that since I was working at Blockbuster. Me too. <laughs> oh. Uh, <clears throat> see if I have a good one for this. See here. I think I'm going to go with, it's like I have ESPN or something from oh, Mean God, Girls. That's... Okay. I have I have life finds a way. In Jurassic oh, Park. that is also. <laughs> oh man! I'm telling you, I got to go with my one on this one. Yeah. Oh yeah, you you got that one. All right. So, th- what do you think of that? I, I like to ask everybody because you know it's my show, so I I want this game to do well. It's got 300 quotes strong right now. What what, what was that? Did you enjoy the game? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had, Cool. That, that's so much fun. I love that. Awesome. So I actually have um, later on in the summer someone I know that makes board games coming on, and I'm going to pick their brain about how I could actually make this real. Oh, so, good idea. Yeah. And and also, you'll be the the, the first person on this show to hear the, the gory details, and by the time this runs, which will be in a few weeks... Um, this will be out in the open and we'll be selling tickets, but I'm doing a live recording of the Talkbuster podcast in Salem, which is the city that the original Blockbuster I worked at with all my friends is oh. or was. And I'm having a, a panel of all the people I used to work with. So we're going to do, you know, Comic-Con panel style with Q&A and I'm going to play this game with the crowd at one point and do like trivia. Um, the, the venue is really psyched and they're talking about if it goes well doing more um, like month to month kind of stuff. Cause they've been trying to bring podcasts in there. 
And oh, so, so cool. I'm, I'm pretty psyched. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was going to I didn't think it was going to hit it off as well as it did. It was just kind of an idea I was kicking around to kind of get my friends together and let them all know how how much I love them and how much, you know, I cherish those memories because it's all we ever talk about. And mm-hmm. apparently the venue is like super jazz. Like the the guy who runs the events is a theater major. And he's like, dude, he goes, this is like the best idea. He goes, we have I, I've been working in the city for like 10 years and we've never had anything quite as unique as this idea. And I'm like, all right, cool. I can't wait. Let's do it. Oh, that's going to be great. So it's yeah, happening at the fantastic. end of the summer. And cool. um, and they also said, you know, if it goes off real well and I do it again, they won't charge me. Because they said if they know it's a good draw, they said, you just come, you can take the whole door. And as long as we make money on food and booze, we don't care because it sounds oh. like a good time. So I'm going to record it. it. You know, it's going to yeah. be awesome. Definitely. Yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, let's let's get back into it. So, you know, tell, tell me more about yourself. You, you love comics. Yeah. Um, I, I used to be way into comics. I still love them. But, um, you know. To tell me a little bit about the current state of you and your relationship with comics. Um, honestly, it's basically all I have time to read anymore. Yep. And yeah, it's one of those at first I got into kind of reading everything I possibly could every week just because of the uh, the YouTube show and everything. But now it's just it's what I it's just what I love doing and it's how I relax. And yeah, when I need to, when I need to chill out, I want to come back to these characters that I've grown so fond of. Right. So what are some of your favorites, um, (laughs) running right now that you, uh, that you read week to week? Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, Lumberjanes is amazing. So good. Uh, Yeah. So good. Uh, paper girls is another one I really like. Um, I can't wait for Saga to come back. Actually, uh, podcasted with School of Movies about Saga. My wife and I both did. Oh, School and, of Movies is great. I'm I'm hoping to yeah. make uh, I'm hoping to do something with them soon. We've been talking back and forth. Oh, you're you're gonna have fun. Alex and Sharon are so fantastic. In fact, when they came to Orlando, um, my wife Debbie and I ended up uh, taking them out and driving them around and just having a blast. And oh, it was so good. See, that's that's the thing I love about this is it's right like it's it's these relationships. Yeah, right? exactly. you just like, you, you know, I, I've ended up doing all kinds of stuff with those guys over at Geeks with Shields. And it's like, you know, I it, you know, it's the same thing with talking to you. It's like, I feel like I met somebody I never would have met otherwise. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's kind of the best thing about it. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it, it's kind of like having the kind of access you'd have if you went to like, you know, a local comic shop. And just started hanging out there a bunch and, you know, oh, I heard a guy in here the other day talking about the Matrix. I like the Matrix. Let me go talk to him if I see him again. But now it's in an it's the good part of Twitter, right? It's like it's, you know, you're overhearing a conversation, but you're overhearing a million conversations. And all of a sudden, all one million of them can look and respond back to you. And it's like, this is cool. Like I'm I'm finding people with like, you know, like minded interests and then also you know people can turn you on to something new like i said i i haven't been as up on comics which is why i go to free comic book day every year so i can just see stuff you know <laughs> oh yeah absolutely and you get uh get little samples of things and i i love free comic book day um i need to get back into it i used to kind of go to as many shops as i could and get as many things as i could and just kind of review all of the previews in like right. quick rapid fire format, I need to get back into that because that was that was a lot of fun and it got me excited about a lot of things. Yeah, we, we uh, did a free comic book day um, video episode of Creating Geeks this year, and it oh, was cool. cool. It was a lot of fun. 
nice. just kind of you know hawking all the local shops because there's a lot of good ones around here. Yeah, we we have some fantastic ones as well. But yeah, that, that's that's awesome. I love I love that kind of stuff. Sorry, um, I, I took you on a tangent. Oh no, that's okay. Yeah, tangents. School are movies. Great. All right. Yeah, but yeah, we did a uh, episode on Saga on the comic, um, and that was kind of as far as it went at the time. Um, there's been like one more volume, one more kind of story arc to it since then, and then um, what's his name? Uh, Brian K. Vaughn decided to take a one-year break off of Saga, so he basically ended us on this gigantic cliffhanger, and I love the man. He is a brilliant writer, but man, I hate that he knows how how to cliffhang. Like, nobody's business. And Uh, yeah, in something you're getting weekly, that's a hard wait. A monthly in that case, but yeah, that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. It, exactly. Yeah. Chaos. Yeah, that's a, yeah. One full. Yeah, he usually does like a story arc, and then he'll take six months off. And this time he's like, no, I'm taking a full year. I just need to recharge my batteries. And yeah, you know, I get that. I mean, he's not George R. R. Martin. He'll come back and finish it, obviously. But <laughs> George R. R. Martin. I always loved that joke. Yeah. It, it was either this year or last year on April Fool's Day where they did the George R. R. Martin accepts deal from Valve to write Half Life Three. <laughs> And I was like, that's such a good gag. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and apparently he's been writing a video game, so Good for him. Yeah. He seems like a nice guy. He does. <laughs> um But yeah, other than uh those ones, those are kind of the indie stuff that I really, really look forward to. I'm gonna have to check I mean out of aside from Lumberjanes, I, I've heard of the other two, but I haven't read them, so Yeah. I'll Paper Girls Paper Girls, I think um of them well, first of all, Saga is probably one of the best comics out right now see that's uh, that's good to hear yeah paper girls is by the same writer but a different artist and um it kind of like if imagine stranger things but it keeps going like imagine if stranger things was not contained gotcha that that's kind of where it goes for the four main characters are four teenage girls that start out in the 80s as uh paper delivery girls and crazy stuff happens and it is just so much fun and these characters are so engaging i i'm gonna have to check that out because i need more things like stranger things i didn't i didn't realize you know how much i needed that show i i had gotten into a point where everything that got popular even though and this is you know how so hipster of me but (laughs) every everything that got popular that everybody told me i should watch I didn't immediately. So I ended up like six months after Stranger Things came out, just sitting down one night, like, and then didn't sleep because I spent midnight till 8 a.m. the next day just watching the whole thing. And I went, wow, that actually is pretty damn good. Okay. Uh-huh. I want, I want more of this. I want more of this right now. <laughs> and <laughs> exactly. it's, most, it's mostly because, you know, the, the show, the show's imperfect, but I like that about it. The show has a, not only did they get the 80s vibe that they're harping on real hard, perfect in the visual look of the show, but it feels kind of cobbled together and rogue made. And I like that about it. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing. It, it even feels like I'm not. Are they using like either uh, the quality, the film quality, the film stock that they would have used in the 80s or trying to digitally replicate that because that's they're what doing the, the digital, like They're doing the digital replication stuff. I think it's because I think Bad Robot has something to do with it. So yeah. I, I think they're doing the um, 
the stuff they did in Super 8, which looked fantastic. Yeah. You know, they did the same thing there. But um, I, I think this show gets the vibe even better than that movie did. And I like that movie. I just have I have a serious problem with a movie where you present the alien as being not evil, but being it's it's the Jurassic Park thing, right? Where Jurassic Park ends and you know that these things are still dangerous. Super 8 ends and it's like, wait a minute, that thing just killed a town full of people. And it's kind of ending on a, yeah, this is what should have happened. No. And it's like, really? We're not angry anymore? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it, just, okay it, always, it always struck me as a little weird. And I don't know why, but I love the movie. Yeah, um, exactly. I, it's just I prefer my of... aliens to be Werner Herzog voicing them personally. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are my favorite aliens. Oh, that's fantastic. He should just voice everything. Yes, he should. Speaking of Werner Herzog. <laughs> Have you ever seen, um, what is it called? Incident at Loch Ness? I have not, no. Have you heard of it? I have not. All right, let me make sure it was him um, while we're talking, because uh, um, I think it was Werner Herzog, but it might be Terry Gilliam, and then I'll just feel like an idiot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I think this was definitely Werner Herzog. Wait a minute. Da-da-da-da. Yeah, okay. So... Let me let me tell you that the premise of Incident at Loch Ness. Okay. So Werner Herzog and Zach Penn. Have you ever heard of Zach Penn? Yeah, I've heard of Zach Penn. The the writer of the X Men monstrosities yeah. and producer at Fox and and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Um. So Zach Penn and Werner Herzog got together and made a movie where the idea was that a film crew was filming a documentary about Werner Herzog who was filming a documentary about Loch Ness. So it's a found footage movie compiled of a movie Zach Penn was trying to make, which was a documentary of Werner Herzog and documentary footage that Werner Herzog was trying to make about Loch Ness. And the I, but, but check this out. So it exists in an alternate reality, but they pretended it was real. Herzog and Zach Penn took out ads in variety um, and ads that were obituaries for the cast and crew that died in the movie quote unquote <laughs> they went so bonkers on this thing and made this weird ass Blair Witch Project style movie where Werner Herzog is like you know Penn like digs into him on like you know how there was all that you know controversy about Werner Herzog holding guns to actors heads to get them to act and at one point Zach Penn hands him a gun and goes come on he goes just put it to my head it'll be great footage for your documentary and like it's it's so nuts like and it it goes so far into like the mythos that Herzog has about himself as a director and it's all just for this silly found footage thing that him and Zach Penn decided to make. <laughs> and I love it to death. It's so, it's so much fun. It sounds curly fries. I love it. It's so I've... much fun. And if you've you've never seen it, you gotta check it out. It's it's bonkers. It's probably the least um like least art house thing Herzog has ever been involved in. It's so different <laughs> than what and he is having so much fun. Like in this movie, like, you know, like they'll hire actors that are, you know, just like strippers that Zach Penn found to like come on (laughs) and they're obviously terrible and they'll get like picked off the boat and eaten by something and Herzog will sit there and go, ah, it's good for the film. And you're like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) It's just getting nuts. (laughs) 
<laughs> that sounds like so much fun. Oh, and he still pretends to this day that it's real, which is even funnier. <laughs> real? Like okay. In, like in interviews, he pretends it's real, like, and and I, I and I think that's really cool. I agree. That I I am impressed. Like even the Blair Witch people have, you know, we're like, yeah, it's a marketing thing. It's fine. Oh, yeah, and they, I mean, and they did a great job. I, yeah. you got to hand it they to did. them. They, oh, they, they went of, to my school. So that's cool. Speaking of the Blair Witch Project, and this, this is just how I go. I, I don't know yeah. why. Um, okay. Have you ever seen the VHS movie? Remember those VHS films? Yeah. Have you seen any of those? Oh yeah. So the Blair, I don't know if you knew this, but the Blair Witch guys did the zombie with a GoPro on its head segment. Yeah. Yeah. I did know that one. And that was by far the standout of, of some great stuff. I mean, I love the stuff that like Nacho Vigalando did in those movies and stuff, but that one just like, I watched it and I go, I need to find out who made this right now. And I looked at it and it was them. And I'm like, good job guys. Bravo. Mm -hmm. Like you still got something. You still got something in this genre, man. Keep it going. Yeah. I, I just want them to keep coming up with these. I, I think that the short format really works well for them. I just want them to keep coming up with cool stuff like that. I love those VHS movies and ABCs. Oh, and me Death. too. They're all so bonkers. Yeah. But they're, they're so much fun. I, I will mean, say a horror movie in a long time has not made me puke in my mouth. Because I have a pretty strong stomach, but mm-hmm. Z is for Zygote from the ABCs of Death ruined me. Oh yeah, oh yeah, ruined me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was glad I was not eating during that. And it I... was the, the gore effects in that were so perfect, and the sound design was so fucking wrong. It was the sound. It was the sound that got me. <sighs> like I'm sitting there. I like I tried closing my eyes, and I could still hear. It's like, oh no! You can still see it in your head. You're just yeah. like, I know exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So high high recommendation for the ABCs of Death. Show your children. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Have yeah. Share it over dinner. So so yeah. So um, we were talking about comics. That's how we got there. Oh yeah, there was. <laughs> What was it? Our favorite aliens are voiced by Werner Herzog. Yeah. So yeah, Super Eight, Stranger Things. You so Paper Girls is like Stranger Things. Yeah, it's 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 like Stranger Things. It has that sort of feel to it. It certainly starts out that way, and then uh, with Vaughn's writing, very rarely does the way something start end in the same way. It's kind of the same way that uh, J. Michael Straczynski does whenever he writes something. Whenever he's doing right. a show, it's never it never it's never the same at the end than it was at the beginning. But it's such a natural change that you never quite notice the change happening. It's just suddenly you look up and like. Oh wow, this is not what I started with. I'm still loving it, but it's not what I started with. That's fantastic. Like I I I like stuff like that. So being being a comic book fan as as I am, um but maybe coming at it from a different direction. What do you think of the Watchmen show? Everything that has happened about everything that's been done about Watchmen after Watchmen has sucked. Right, and this show just looks like it doesn't get the point. No, nobody seems to understand the point of Watchmen, which is that, quite frankly, Watchmen shouldn't exist. Yeah, it's it's a perfect case for itself not existing. That's the whole point. 
Yeah, it's it, and this happens whenever they try to translate Alan Moore into some other medium. Like it happened with the Killing Joke movie as well. Oh that just yeah, missed, oh. it missed all of the little details that made the Killing Joke worth reading. And I felt so bad because the yeah. voice cast were trying so hard. Yeah, they were. They, they really were, and. I'm sure oh. everybody working on that movie tried and like tried to make a really good thing. They just didn't quite understand what was going on. And Alan Moore's a weird guy. I can understand not understanding him. Um, I'm somewhat disappointed that uh, Swamp Thing um, DC's streaming service got canceled after one episode. But yeah. I can imagine that it wouldn't have even gotten that far if they had tried to do some of Moore's stuff as opposed to some of the earlier Len Wein, uh, Bernie Wrightson Stuff oh, that's a thing is such a cool property, though. Um, it is did you, one of my favorites. Did you hear what happened to that? Um, where they cut the uh, they cut a couple episodes out of the production, and um, I don't know exactly what happened yet. I know, oh they... no, this is hysterical. Like, yeah. it, it, so the reason the show turned out so good is because yeah. they got they 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 thought they were getting some like 40 million dollar tax break for filming it where they filmed it in like the Carolinas or something. And apparently there was a typo in the paperwork that wasn't supposed to be 40. It was supposed to be 14. So they lost $26 million. Oh, I was wondering, cause I know, I know at one point they were trying to blame North Carolina and North Carolina was like, no, 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 we told them, but there was a typo. That's (laughs) that's basically it. Yeah, it was. And, and I guess it wasn't just that show. It was like a bunch of things. And I don't know if I don't think it was North Carolina pulling a fast one. I think it was just them reading it and getting it written down wrong when they were reading it. And they just they walked into it and said, cool. Yeah, of course, we'll give you 40 million dollars more than we were going to give you originally. Yeah. You know, make an awesome show. And they went and made an awesome show and then went, oh, crap. We can't afford this awesome show. Yeah. Oh, and that 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 breaks my heart because it's so good. It is so interesting that the only thing I don't like about it is that they, I think they need a better cinematographer who can light things in a way that are both creepy and I can see what's going on. Yeah, the, a lot of the times, yeah. TV TV show cinematographers and stuff they they need to remember what they're filming. Yeah, you know <laughs> exactly. And again, that's sometimes you, you know you can't hire a guy that filmed agents of shield to you know for an example to necessarily film you know an x-files episode you know there's there's it's different and you need you need to know what you're making um yeah and so hard to find people with that kind of experience that just hire just hire the people that did ash versus evil dead yeah yeah that'll do it to do everything yeah perfect yeah just the whole the whole cast just hire them for every tv show Stars seems to have incredible people in their pocket, which is weird. It's weird that they're the ones that are taking such chances. Like you look back at like HBO and HBO. I mean, they're, they're a juggernaut, but you start looking at the stuff and it's like, they're kind of signing up for like outside of, you know, they do take chances on stuff, but the stuff's kind of all the same when you really look at it, like the type of things that they're locking into. Yeah. Stars is so wacky. <laughs> yeah, it's like they don't have anything to lose. Yeah, it's like, kind of like how Netflix has been for a while. They're just kind of yeah. like, yeah, we'll make everything. Fuck it. Yeah, exactly. If it does, yeah, we don't have to pay license fees on this. This is great. We'll make it all. What do you yeah, want? It's, 
Yeah, HBO, I, I really do want to know what the numbers were on people that canceled their HBO subscriptions after Game of Thrones ended. Oh, I genuinely to, want to know those numbers. It has to be insane. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm, they're still producing so many of the things they're supposed to be riding the Game of Thrones kind of train. And it's a little disappointing because, like, for example, I'm kind of excited about Wheel of Time. Yeah. Um, that was my best friend's favorite book series, and I liked it a lot in high school. I've been listening to the audiobooks um, at work, and um, I there's problems with it. I don't like it as much as I liked it in high school, but I still enjoy it. But that's coming out in 2020, and like by then, nobody's going to be interested in a high fantasy epic. Yeah, especially especially when they oh when they try to Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, which is what it sounds like Amazon's trying to do. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so angry. Amazon's also doing Wheel of Time. Amazon just really wants to own high fantasy. (sighs) I agree, and I bet they do a good job. I just, I... Yeah. I, my outlook on on adapting fantasy is that if you, if you try to adapt something that doesn't actually exist already, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And this is, like... Obviously, there were a lot of things that got in the way of the Hobbit movies ending up yeah. as good as the Lord of the Rings. It wasn't just, you know, someone didn't get the point. It was production schedules and everything else. But yeah. if the guy that made three near-perfect movies screws up an adaptation of something by trying to add something that wasn't there to to a story, mm-hmm. and there was someone you know that's great at it, so it wasn't for lack of trying... Don't try to write your own story. Don't do this like Aragorn prequel thing. It yeah. just doesn't sound like a good idea. We prequels are a bad idea. They're a terrible idea. They sound great on paper, but they don't work. Yeah. They inevitably end up explaining something that we don't need explained, and your explanation is always going to be worse than whatever people are coming up with. Right, and sometimes sometimes it works. Like I feel like Rogue One worked pretty well. Yeah. Because it 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 added to the already knowledgeable intensity of what came right after it. It's telling you a story you already know the outcome of, but it you know, knowing that right behind the door that Darth Vader walks into at the beginning of A New Hope, he's just literally murdered a shit ton of people. Like Jason Voorhees level adds mm-hmm. a lot to the 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 immediacy of A New Hope. And I like that. Like, that's a cool way to do a prequel. But at the same time, you know, it's nothing new. Yeah. I think possibly the best thing a prequel can do... And I, well, all right. So obviously, you know, anything you have, you know, a movie or anything, it has a theme and that theme will bring the character from one place to another. Right. 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 The best thing a prequel can do is find a way to get to the starting point of that theme that it's leading up to. Absolutely. Instead of taking away from. Yeah, exactly. Or trying to do something entirely different. The prequel needs to. Yeah. It's not just narratively, but thematically it should just bring you to where you were so that it feels like a continuous motion. Exactly. I feel that comics have a tendency to do that better than films, mostly because they get a chance to try so many times and fail and then get it right every once in a while. But yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, 
people forget the bad um, comic arcs, but they remember the great ones. Yeah, and the great yeah. ones are great. Exactly. It's you know everybody everybody remembers the Phoenix Saga, and they remember it for a reason. Oh, it's so good. And why have they tried it twice? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, stop! Just stop doing the Phoenix. Remember, I, I, remember back before we got spoiled, how X two was just the best freaking superhero movie ever. And again, yeah. I I don't want to discredit it. I think X X one and two and First Class are still good versions of what you could do with the X-Men and Logan is just in some other stratosphere. Yeah. Um, but they're not great movies. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They're yeah. good, but it seems that every time they make one, they just understand their property less and less. Yeah. It's at, at one point, I think they stopped trying to make movies that drew from the X-Men comics and started trying to make movies that drew from the X-Men movies. Right, right. Yeah. Let's, let's just redo ourselves. Yeah, and that's yeah, they, they a, that's literally a made they literally made Dark Phoenix twice with the well, same writer, and then the first time they did it, I mean, Brian Singer is a shit bar of a human being. Yes, he but, is. But but you know, at the time when when he made X two, I you know it, it was good to stand behind him and go, yeah, walk away from this franchise if they're gonna make you do something you don't want to do, and add all these characters. You know, it, it's the Sam Raimi you know, whiny, kicking, I don't want to make this movie, so I'm going to make it shitty, uh, Spider-Man 3 thing all over again. Oh, oh, you want this? Okay, then then I'll give it to you. Um, But with X3, he just walked away and went and made his Superman movie instead. And, you know, at the time, it's like, okay, cool. You know, stand up for what you believe in. But it's like, he came back to his franchise, and it sucks. (laughs) You know? Yeah, he didn't make it any better. He made no. it worse. He he left, and X three was god awful. But he he hasn't done anything to fix it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He they're so obsessed with this timeline and trying oh. to make that work out. And I don't give a shit. And they already I legitimately erased, don't care what it is. They already erased it in Days of Future Past, which is not a perfect movie, but I enjoy it. Um, and yeah. I loved seeing them kind of go through and go. And by the way, that Dark Phoenix shit, yeah, that didn't happen anymore. And I'm like, good, don't do that again. You learned. And then the two movies later, they just go ahead and do it. Yeah. And uh, what's his name? Who was the writer director, uh, writer on both, but the writer director of this last one? I can't remember his name right his now. His name. And this is why I'm going to forget his name because yeah. I don't like him. But uh, he is actually one of the executive producers of the new Twilight Zone. And. <laughs> It's a bummer because, you know, he's a big wig at Fox and I can imagine it seemed like a match made in heaven when most of his stuff has been successful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Simon Kinberg. Simon, Simon Kinberg. Thank you. Yes. He's got this obsession with the Phoenix was in Gene all along. Yeah. I'm like, what, like the first and when I saw X2 in the theaters and I saw that uh, the fire in her eyes, I'm like. They're doing Dark Phoenix. I was excited. Oh, dude, my entire theater started high-fiving. It was awesome. Oh, absolutely. I was so psyched. It was great. And then when I saw Apocalypse, which was already disappointing, and then I saw her pop into the Phoenix, I'm like, oh, they're doing Dark Phoenix again. And it was just... It was just the topper to this really disappointing film experience. Like, oh, great. The next one's also going to be a disappointing film experience. Ugh. Why? Why? So that 
that makes me think now for comic book movies what do we really i mean it seemed like there you know a year ago there were so many to look forward to and now they've come and gone we've got you know spider-man far from home which looks like a lot of fun uh, yeah. I, but what else do we got man I can't even remember what's coming out now. Yeah. They they keep threatening to release new mutants, which again, hello. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. I, I would like them to do new mutants. I'd like them to do it well. I'd like them to do. I'd like them to get some Deadpool energy behind new mutants, but yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's not oh. going to happen. It's it's you know like Gambit is never going to happen. New mutants, if it comes out, it's going to be cobbled together because nobody seems to give a shit. Yeah, it seems like Disney's trying their hardest to just not let that happen. Yeah, but yeah, it's a it's, and they're again, yeah, we got Far From Home coming out, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'm sure there's got to be like seven comic book movies coming out this year, but I can't. Well, the, that's the thing far. is, Mar- Marvel's putting the longest stop they've done ever by like not releasing a movie for a year or something like. That. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> Good on them. Yeah. Good on them. Yeah, I, I just, I just want them to get to Doctor Strange too. Whenever that happens, I want another Into the Spider Verse. Yeah, that I, too. I love Homecoming a lot, and Far From Home looks like a blast. But to me, it's, it's like, it's like when Sam Raimi did Spider Man Two, and I just went, oh, it's gonna be a really long time before a superhero movie makes me smile this much. And yeah. it took like till Iron Man for that to happen. Yep. <laughs> you know, and oh, I, it was the same thing with Into the Spider Verse. I go, am I ever gonna see a better superhero movie than this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just makes me so happy. Sorry, a better comic book movie than this, mind you, because it it was yeah. like I've never seen a movie like that. It was just so good. Yeah, it's it did it did what Ang Lee failed to do with Hulk. It, but it was, it was exactly to, what he was trying to do. Yeah, but I, it was always trying. Yeah, I I think that with better technology, Ang Lee could have pulled it off. But it, it the that Hulk movie and, and all due respect, I know he tried, and it's not he terrible. Definitely tried. Yeah, it's not terrible, but honestly, based on the time period, it, it looks kind of like something that I could throw together in Premiere. Yep. And yeah, I am not a professional filmmaker by any stretch of the imagination, but it looks like something I could throw together in Premiere. I love Ang Lee because he stands behind everything he makes, but also admits when it it's only him that stands behind it. You yeah. know? Um, when he did what was it the the somebody somebody's long halftime walk? Yeah, Do you remember this movie? Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, and and he did it in like the super high frame rate cameras, and you know he he's a big purveyor of you know new technology and everything. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading an interview with him where you know critics were just saying, I, "We feel we were we're terribly sorry, Ang, but this is unwatchable." Like it just it you know we get what you're trying to do here, but why you know the decision to film it like this? And even he said he goes, you know, I'm proud of everybody that worked on the movie, and technically I think we pulled off something great. But yeah, this film is unwatchable. I'm sorry. Like it's like oh, at least he can admit it. Yeah, I gotta respect that. <laughs> not not a lot of people can do that. I can't imagine like Quentin Tarantino saying something like that. No, and and speaking of that, I, I just finished the Hateful Eight. I, uh-huh. I waited. I waited on the Hateful Eight for a long time because one, Quentin Tarantino is a troublesome motherfucker. Yes, he and, is. And and two, I had just I was completely turned off by how angry he got 
when the script leaked and then he kind of went on like, you know, his tour of, I mean, in all due respect, if, 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 if your script leaks and you're angry about it, great. But the movie just had like this bad backbone behind it of mm-hmm. like, of like wanting to be like militant against it. And, and it just, and I ended up watching it, you know, it's fine. It, it's a, it's a much smaller story than I expected it to be. Yeah. Um, but God damn, is it, um, hard to get through some of that dialogue. Uh-huh. Whew. <laughs> oh, oh, I had so much trouble with basically everything Samuel L. Jackson said. Yeah. Particularly and the story that he told. And I'm an open-minded dude, and I love everybody in that movie. But there was just something, and I tried to say this to somebody. They go, but but that they said, but that kind of stuff happens in his movies normally. And I said, yeah. I said, but his movies have never not been fun. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. even even Reservoir Dogs, when it gets nasty and the shit hits the fan, there's a playfulness about the horror that happens that this movie never hits. It's like, mm-hmm. like because you hear Samuel L. Jackson tell that story and it's just horrific. And then yeah. they show him doing the things he's doing, and it's like, okay, I get that this guy's supposed to be a guy that's angry at freaking white people. That makes complete sense, but. Is he just telling this story and making this up just to ruin this this old guy? Or is he being serious? And I'm not sure which one is grosser. Yeah. You know? And the fact that they leave it with him not really showing his hand, like, you know, the movie goes through the motions of kind of deducing what's going on with everybody but him and the sheriff. Like, they're just kind of left to, are they both just still bullshitting everybody? And I'm like, okay, I get what you're doing here, Quentin. And believe me, your actors are all incredible. And your dialogue is is biting and witty. But I didn't have fun with any of it. There's no no point where I sat back and went, I'm enjoying myself. And if that's what he was intending, great. But yeah, I'd much I'd much rather watching Glorious Bastards where I'm laughing the whole goddamn time because it's all so absurd. So when something hard hitting has to come, it earns it because it's balancing that that hard reality with harsh fantasy. And and it looks like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's going in that direction. And that makes me happy. Me too. Me too. Absolutely. I just want to see him having fun again. Except, yeah, Hateful Eight really felt like a slog. Um, it just wasn't it, fun. No, it wasn't. And it became even less fun when I, now that I'm thinking about it, um, how much he absolutely brutalizes um, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, oh that my just, God. that made me. That made me so uncomfortable. Basically, the only thing I really can think that I like genuinely loved about that movie, other than some of the lines of dialogue, was that cover of Jim Jones at Botany Bay, which still kind of haunts me yes. a little bit. Yes, and and it looked gorgeous. I yeah, mean, I obviously, yeah. out of it. Yeah, um, but yeah, it just it it struck me, and I and again, I don't know what it is, and it's kind of like I'm not going to say that it means that Quentin is some evil racist asshole. No. He probably is in some, but a, but I'm not saying that the movie tells me that. But it's kind of like when you can go back and read some of the stuff Stephen King wrote when he was deep deep on drugs mm-hmm. and there's just a nastiness to it because he was angry and he was upset and you know like for example you know you can have you can have things like abuse and rape and horrifying things happen in a story 
where they feel like they're serving the story and you're supposed to feel awful for the person. But when you when it gets to the point where you feel like the author is trying to like air their own aggressions and dirty laundry through it, uh-huh. kind of like, oh, no. And I felt too much of the Hateful Eight felt that way. Yeah. Where, oh, where he's mad at somebody and he's just trying to get it out there on the paper. And, and yeah, you're right. It, it's really hard when someone that I love and respect as much as Samuel L. Jackson is playing such a vile character. And he nailed it. Like, he oh, was yeah. great. He was great in that role. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not pleasant. And I don't know how much of it is, you, you know, is it is it just the, the movie's just a freaking sadist against everybody in it? I don't know. It's it's yeah. really fucked up. Yeah, there's there's a point there's a point where you just have to sit there and say, yes, I understand you're trying to convey a certain amount of horror, but then I'm not that that then I don't want to watch the movie anymore. It's why I really kind of despise every Eli Roth movie. Not movies yeah. that he's acted in, but every movie that he's no, directed. I, I get exactly what you're saying, and yeah. I, I I feel the only time so Eli Roth, I have a love-hate relationship with Eli Roth, too. He seems like a great dude. That's, yeah, oh, absolutely. That's the cool thing with Eli Roth. But, like, for instance, when Cabin Fever came out, I like Cabin Fever because it's weird. But mm-hmm. the, it's it's like you just said, though, there's nothing really in the movie that is enjoyable. These people are in a no-win situation, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. That's what I really ended up liking about Hostel 2, as weird as this is, okay. is he changed his approach. Huh. And I don't know. Have you ever seen Hostel 2? No, I saw Hostel 1. So, 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 so yeah, so let, let me let me make a case really quick for why you should at least give Hostel 2 a chance. I think it's the best movie he's made okay. by like a long, long shot. All right. And it almost is apologizing a little bit for what he did in Hostel 1. Because the problem with Hostel One, um, you know, it it it's a great horror movie. Like the horror and gore and torture porn aspects of it are all filmed and done in a very horrific and very effective yeah. way. Basically my problem, an exploitation film. Yeah, my problem with Hostel is that I hate all of the fucking people that this stuff is happening to. Uh huh. So there's no there's no I'm not going to say enjoyment. But I'm talking about the enjoyment where you're on the edge of your seat wondering if this person's going to make it through it. You're not because you hate them. Yeah, you're invested in them as characters. So in Hostel 2, he did this thing where he hired a bunch of actresses that are very likable. One of them being the girl that played Anne Hathaway's best friend in The Princess Diaries. Oh, yeah. And and she's awesome. And he did that intentionally, and so he makes them super likable. Like, they're not away in Amsterdam to run around and, like, you know, fuck a bunch of people and do a bunch of drugs. They're literally there to, like, relax and have a good time, you know? Huh. And and they fall victim to this underground crazy ring, and they add mythos to what's going on with the underground crazy ring. Like, like it's built into the town's politics you know, and I'm like, all right, this is really cool. Like, give me more of this. Like, it ends up being more Twilight Zone-y than, yeah. but, but what so it's more does, like Purge 2 compared to The Purge. Exactly. And what he does by hiring that girl is she's already so likable and she's so great that he makes her the first victim. And so it puts you in a place where you want to see these fucking people win. Like, you want to see the rest of them avenge her. 
after you right. see what she and so I'm sitting there going, not only is it a wonderfully gory, great horror movie, but he makes you give a shit. Nice. And I've never seen him do that again. Like he he went yeah. right back into the the awful with with Green Inferno, where it's just like these people all suck. Like, yeah. <laughs> and your message is all over the place. Yeah. Oh God. His yeah. His his message uh, is about as heavy handed as they get in that movie. Yeah. Whew. I feel like he's, I I feel like his message was I've spent way too much time on Twitter and I don't know who to dislike anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I've 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 stopped. I've stopped knowing where my bullets should be aimed and now they're aimed at everybody and I can't get myself out. Yeah. Yeah. Is the movie anti or for social justice warriors? I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, Both? I don't, I don't think it knew. No, it didn't. <laughs> I, I feel like he just, he's like, well, it has to have a message. So this one, or maybe that one. What the and hell? I'm, Put them and I'm not so sure what we're going to get out of him. Death wish happened because he, lost um the meg i was about to say a bet no the meg the so the meg was something that he he wanted to make a big silly like like action horror movie and um and he had gone around like doing a bunch of shark research became like an authority on sharks like i had heard him for a while on interviews like he was going around and doing like you know like um dives and, you know, learning about them and doing conservation and stuff and making that be like a part of like what the movie was going to be about. Oh. And he lost it. They they decided to kind of like roll an Emmerich it, you know, and go in a different direction. Right. And so he had to take contract work. And so he did the remake of Death Wish, which, oof. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah oof. That's, that's definitely not something we needed now. No, not at all. And it. It, it ends up being limp because of it. Like it doesn't even try to like, it could have at least tried to be like a purge movie, you know, yeah. which, which like you said, they keep getting better and better. Yeah. <laughs> like somewhere along, get it. somewhere along the way, they discovered that the interesting thing about the purge is not a bunch of affluent people trying to kill another bunch of affluent people. It's, you know, the the actual victims of the purge, Having to deal with the purge. I loved that. And it's it's cool because yeah. the first movie is not terrible. But no. the first movie hints that there's a much more interesting movie going on during it. And then the second movie just dumps you right in the middle of that interesting movie. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you, exactly. you know? That, yeah, the first movie, the guy who uh, the guy who they bring inside, that's the is, interesting is story. should have been following. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I felt like I feel like with that one, they were just they didn't want to take the risk, and it happened to make enough money that they were willing to take a risk on the second one, and they well, just keep taking risks. And I love it because it's the same guy. He like keeps getting to retry and like add to his own mythos, and it's like that's awesome. Like, yeah, they keep giving him a chance to make it better, and it's like cool. Yeah. Good on you. If, if like I said, the first one feels like studio notes. Yes, it does. And and I feel like the best parts of the first one are, are in the are in the margins, like it's like a little view you get of what's going on outside, or a line of dialogue, you know, going on here, or most of the ending. I feel a lot of the cool stuff happens in when it really becomes a horror movie. Is you kind of go, oh, you know what? I'm learning a little bit about that person, and I want to know more. Yeah, you know, <laughs> show me more of that. Exactly. You know, base basically make us. 
give me give me an interesting <laughs> social commentary horror movie that still leaves me perplexed. Yes. <laughs> oh, speaking of us, all right. So the coolest thing that I noticed in it was all right. So um, you notice that um, between the past and the present, the place where the entrance was to the underground was yep. changed to Merlin's Forest, right? Yep. Do you know why? I I did some thinking on that, but I I don't think. No, tell me, tell me. Okay, so when you're talking about the Arthurian myths, um, one of the major things that keeps coming up is this idea that uh, to know a thing's name, magic is essentially to know a thing's name. When you know a thing's name, you know you have power over it, and oh, the idea of a name oh. is the idea of a soul. Now you'll notice that um, the what's up. The, when red tethered. yeah the tethered they didn't have names before therefore they had no souls now the reason why merlin's forest is that when merlin is taken out of the picture so that he can't be there um when arthur and mordred start fighting he can't be there to kind of fix things yeah it was a creation what drew him into the forest and what eventually trapped him was a creation called nimue which is latin for no name she had no soul. She was just a construct. And, of course, the entrance to the tethered um, area is behind a tree painted in the thing. And Merlin was, of course, trapped in a tree. Holy shit. This is, the more I learn about this movie, uh-huh. the more I just... I, I want to sit down with, with Jordan Peele and just have a beer. And yeah. And just go, like, dude, just talk to me. I don't even care what it's about. Like... Because he he seemed like an interesting enough guy when it was just Key and Peel, and now it's like yeah. you're you're like way into this. Like you're not just doing this for fun. Like he, yeah. like you drink your own Kool Aid, dude, and I want to hear more about it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The, um, it's so the, great to see somebody who just knows so much and puts it all into his films. He's also such a firm believer in death of the writer, and he'll he'll give a lot like of like insight and like winks to people, but he'll never like fully like he'll never fully say that someone's theory is wrong. And Mm -hmm. I like that. Like he's like, well, you know, I made the movie and I might have my views of what it's supposed to be, but he firmly believes that, you know, the the movie grows, the mythos grows with the viewer. And so whatever you want to think is going on could also be going on. And I, and I like that. You Me know, too. The Wachowskis the characters, are that as well. Yes, they're not very one note. Nothing is one note. There's yeah. there's nothing that's in there by accident. Mm-hmm. And I I love that. Um and again, a lot of that bleeds through into his Twilight Zone. I it, it's you can tell it's a struggle between him and Kinberg. Like you can just tell the stuff yeah. that's full size. And the last episode is totally Jordan Peele. Like he's he just nails that last episode. Nice, <laughs> it's, it's so well done. I, I think I might need to show this to uh, my dad this weekend because we're going out to visit for Father's Day. I think I might need to show that to him. Yeah, it, you could. And again, there's nothing you'll miss even if you just skipped right ahead to the last episode because it. Yeah, it's episodic. It, it's episodic, but it you just have to know that a whole season came before it because it it puts the main character is the writer of the show. So that's like a very important thing about what it's trying to say in that episode. And, and Peel is having so much fun 
just looking at you and kind of just like taunting you to be like, yeah, tell tell me my version of the Twilight Zone isn't worthy. Come on, just tell me. I want to fucking nice. hear it. And it's just like Jesus, dude. <laughs> like, nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 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 pretty cool stuff. But oh man, us was so good. It was. Oh, I just I just I I went into work the next day. Um and I, my coworkers also saw it and I was just all we were just talking back and forth and coming up with new ideas as we were. There's just so much right. going on there. Right. I've completely flipped a lot of not not really my feelings for the movie. I, you know, hmm. it took me about 10 minutes after it ended to decide if I loved it or not, because I was just it, the movie leaves you in such a wait a minute. What <laughs> like kind of yeah. place? like and then um, it it's such it's such a good psychological thriller slash just straight up gore fest slasher movie slash social commentary slash yeah. comedy humor, comedy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, God, what a perfect choice. For that actor whose name I'm gonna forget, um, is it Malcolm? No, what's his Washington? I the guy um from Black Panther who was the yeah. dad. Oh, I uh. forget, he's so good, and he he felt naturally funny. Like it didn't feel like he was written as comic relief. It just felt like this cat, this guy is funny, so he's gonna be funny. <laughs> you Winston know? Duke. Winston Duke. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, he was oh, just even, incredible in this movie. Yeah, even when he's doing like uh, the the pratfalls and stuff, those are hilarious. Yeah, like he like yeah. like he does physical comedy well. What do you uh, think the over under on this getting forgotten at the Oscars this year? I'm not saying it's gonna win Best Picture, but I mean, Lupita Nyong'o better get a Best Actress. She is playing two entire characters. Yeah. Like yeah, two fully fleshed it. out characters. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's completely bonkers. It I mean, is. everybody in it's good, but she's just on a completely different level. Oh, absolutely. Um, she sells that twist because it, it's the kind of thing that makes you yell out of the screen, no, like, no, Be- uh-huh. because it hits you so hard. I'm not buying it, movie. No fucking way. <laughs> and then yep. they just they remind you, no, 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 no. This, this is legit. This is what's been going on here. And you're like, oh, yeah, you're right, you asshole. I don't yeah. like this. Because then because you go from being angry to being, oh, what a awful, evil character to going, oh, no. No, no, like, no. Then, then you go, wait a minute. The implication of what the person with the, the like you just brought it up, the the form with a soul was just forced yeah. to go through the soulless life. What does that mean? Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Like what what happens when you go in reverse? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's I mean, it's it's bad enough that this is happening to all of these people, you know, but when you take someone that knows a different life and throws them through it, how much war it, it's it just implies so much. It implies uh-huh. so, so much. Um, yeah. And it, it's it's gross and it makes me shake. But like I just said, it implies all of it without it being without it being sadistic. And like the movie doesn't relish in reminding you of that. It just all you need to know is we've told you enough. You can piece it together yourself. Yeah. And it has that sense of magical realism that, you know, it, you don't want to dig too deeply into how this actually works. Yep. And what are the mechanics and has it? Because it it doesn't matter. Exactly. When they asked him, you know, well, couldn't they have just, you know, gone up the down escalator? And he goes, 
what does the down escalator mean? <laughs> you uh-huh. know, not, not, of course they could have, but they yeah. can't. They can't because society doesn't let them. And it's yeah. just like, holy shit. <laughs> you, you know, it, it, like, goddamn, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> this oh, yeah. metaphor is strong with this one. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's such a so, beautiful film. So since we made it into into horror, did you see Hereditary? I did see Hereditary, yes. God, that movie fucking ruined me. Uh-huh. Speaking of movies that are not a fun experience, but are still a fun movie. Yeah. You know, like that that movie just relishes in the genre that it decided to be in. When when I got to about the third act and I went, Oh my god, this is this is the, the genre this is in? Oh thank God. <laughs> like uh-huh. and, you, and you sold and you sold people an art house movie and instead you just made schlock. Way to go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like it, it becomes a full on evil dead movie at the end there. Like it's just like what yeah. are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, it reminds it that that the, the scene with her flying reminded me the way that she was flying reminded me of um oh what was the it? Sister. Uh, no, not that. I mean uh, I was thinking uh what was it, vampires in <gasps> uh, uh, you know yes. what I talked about with, with yes. the, the woman's head and her spine come out yep. and eat babies. Yep. Yeah. That's how this that that movement, that was what I was reminded of. It was such a great, strange movie. So yeah. I'm hearing I'm hearing that that director's new one, um, Midsummer. Have you heard of this thing? Yes. I watched the trailer to it and I go, I don't even care if he just remade the Wicker Man, I'm going to see this. Uh-huh. <laughs> like this. Yeah. And oh. I don't and I don't think he remade the Wicker Man. It sounds like it's something else, but Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I do the the weird ass pagan imagery and horror goes together so well, especially when, you know, it's normally the pagan side of things in movies like this that's the harmless thing. Yeah. You know, you're just like, oh, this is gonna be a fucked up movie. So I guess Jordan Peele of think about the way we got to that yeah. has been quoted has been quoted in saying that the the there's things in this movie that are so utterly terrifying they're almost unwatchable <laughs> it's just wow. like okay <laughs> i am totally on board yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the interesting thing about this whole idea that the kind of pagan imagery is usually the good stuff is because yes. a lot of pagan imagery has been filtered through other lenses to make yep. them bad, like yep. like the concept of the voodoo doll is not it. That's not a voodoo thing, but basically, white people went to uh, went to the Caribbean and saw some of these practices and wanted to make them scary, and they took white pagan witchcraft concepts that they were mildly familiar with, and I say that mildly, and just applied it to black people. And then yep. we started using them as the scary thing. It's it's weird. It's got this weird racial dimension to it. But yeah, it, it, it's something I just kind of realized recently and read about recently. But I'm like, wow, yeah, they do that, don't they? Just ruin everything. Yeah, pretty much. That's what we do. But yeah, when you have things like Wicker Man or I guess Midsummer, it's good. that's kind of interesting and different in its own way because of that, though. Yeah. I I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that whole genre, that whole, you know, like, okay, yeah, it's painted as a horrific thing that's going down, but, you know, it they're not, the horrific things aren't happening to you because 
these people are evil. You know what I mean? Like this, you've you've stepped into something that you just don't understand. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah and I love that stuff. Oh, absolutely! It's why Halloween Three is one of my favorite of the Halloween movies. Oh God, yes! I've heard rumor that Danny McBride and the guy who directed the new Halloween have said that if the movie did well enough for them to get a sequel greenlit, that they were going to make a follow up to Halloween Three just to fuck with people. You know, yes. Spend all this time bringing back Michael Myers and doing a perfect send off for the franchise and then going, you know what now we're going to do, we're going to show some love to, to the other good one, you know? And yeah. it's just like, all right, that's awesome. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, that would be so cool. I, I really dug that new Halloween. Oh, me too. Oh, I, I think we saw that in the theater. My wife and I saw that in the theater twice. Um, cause yeah. we were podcasting. We watched it and then we saw it again to show a friend and also cause we were podcasting. I don't want to take notes, but Yeah. It was real well done. That was that was very bare bones, old fashioned. What I think is really cool is how varied that director is. And I really wish I could remember his name right now because he, he always works with Danny McBride. And it's just strange how the two of them are so much more talented than um, you'd think in that respect. Um, yeah. Somehow, yeah, the somehow hell's his name? David Gordon Green. David Gordon Green. So before yes. Halloween... David Gordon Green made um, the uh, movie Stronger, where Jake Gyllenhaal played the guy that lost his legs in the marathon bombing. Oh, not, yeah. Not, not the made-up Mark Wahlberg marathon bomb moving movie, but... Yeah. And Stronger was fantastic. And then it still amazes me that, okay, you got Stronger. Stronger is an Academy Award-level kind of a movie. Halloween is a really good Halloween movie, but yeah. he it's also the same guy that made um, Your Highness. Yeah, and Pineapple that, Express. That, that still breaks my fucking brain. <laughs> Your Highness, dude, is is a big mess of a movie. But that joke with the wizard uh-huh. is spit-take-inducing funny. He's yes. like, now, to make the magic happen, stroke the shaft and punch the head. Dude, don't tell that. <laughs> <laughs> he used to hang out with this wizard and do what? Dude, don't tell that. <laughs> I it killed me. I'm just like, really? They did that joke? That's fantastic. Yes. Yes, it is. That movie was dumb as a bag of rocks, and I laughed at every second of it. It's because everybody in it was having fun. Like yeah. I will forgive almost any movie where it's clear that the people that the people who are making it enjoyed themselves. Yep. Like my favorite That's... bad movie is uh, probably the Miami Connection. I have a poster of it here in my office. I'm oh, looking yeah. at it right now. And you know. YK Kim's actually a local here in Orlando, and that's why he filmed it here. And, you know, it has all these Orlando landmarks that, you know, my wife and I were just like, oh, yeah, we've been there. We've been, yeah. But uh, it's one of those, he's not a very good filmmaker or writer or actor, but he clearly had a lot of passion for it, and so did everybody else involved. So I enjoy it because I get to have fun with them. I like when stuff bleeds through like that. Yeah. Like, like outside of Cop Out, that's how I feel about every Kevin Smith movie, even the ones people don't like, you know, yeah. is I just sit there and go, man, this guy just bleeds all over his work. Uh-huh. You know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Jersey, Jersey Girl, I yeah. remember when that was getting shit on, I really still like that one. Uh, not least because uh, George Carlin was clearly enjoying oh, the hell out of himself, too. so good in that movie. 
Yeah. He, he was Horse so shit, good kid. That. Yeah, that that movie that that movie is very earnest. Yeah. You know, like I don't feel at all like that movie is bullshitting me. Like he he just wanted to make a romantic comedy. Good on you, dude. Like do it. <laughs> you, yeah, you <know>? exactly. <laughs> just and just enjoy yourself. It's you know, and then I compare it to like Red State, which was sort of all over the place. It was, but you could tell he want he wanted to make that movie so bad. Yeah, you could exactly. Tell it was all over the place. He couldn't he couldn't pick a genre. Yeah. He couldn't it's, pick a genre, and he wasn't great at working in any of the genres he picked. So it was just like it was like watching a guy experiment. Yeah, you know, which is and, fine. And I, I don't mind watching a guy experiment, but it's sort of the anti-Green Inferno in the sense that Green Inferno was a mess because Eli Roth clearly wanted to do nothing, and uh, Red State's a mess because Kevin Smith clearly wants to do everything. Yeah, exactly. And then and then you get you know Tusk, which is just a fun joke. Yeah, I love Tusk because it's just he's just just fucking with everybody. He's like, you really think I'm going to make this movie? Here you go. And then Yoga Hosers is just a guy and his daughter and their friends just having fucking fun. I never got around to watching that. I'm not specifically opposed to it. I just never got around to it. So (laughs) it's not great. But let me say, I say that and also saying that I really love it. Do you know what I mean? It, it's yeah. like a double. It it's like if Kevin Smith decided he wanted to make a full moon movie. Oh, that's, that's literally cool. what it is. Like it, it's just stupid and childish, and like the horror is horrific, but it's not like Tusk. You know, it's like yeah. it, it's like those full moon movies where it's like, are we making this for kids or are we making it for adults? We don't really know. And <laughs> we're making it for we're making it for kids that but to be rented by adults to shut them up. Exactly. And it it just it it, it again it has this, you know, sense of I'm just having a whole lot of fun making this movie. Yeah. And and his daughter's an absolute riot and I I'm psyched she she's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, good. And, um, yeah. And so it it's cool to see her getting work. She's a riot. Oh, that's so. wonderful. And he really likes making fun of Canadian people. You think? That that's <laughs> yeah. And he's been doing that since chasing Amy. Yeah. Yeah, I just did an episode of uh, Kevin Smith Smackdown with the Geeks with Shields guys. Oh, that was cool. fun. Awesome. That'll be coming out soon. Yeah, we we had a lot of fun. The, those two guys had seen barely any of his movies. Really? So it was a lot of fun to um, have people go through them now versus having a lot of nostalgia for them. Let's mm-hmm. just say, let's just say, Chasing Amy got beat on a lot. Really? <laughs> I could, I could see watching. I went and rewatched it, and I still love it. But I could see watching it now and kind of going, "Ooh, the world's kind of progressed past this, hasn't it?" Uh oh. Yeah, you really have to. <laughs> you really have to watch that in the context of when it was made. It was so it, progressive in '94. It is, and it, it's still my favorite of his movies, and part, and probably one of my favorite queer cinema type things. But yeah, oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those. It made it, it made in 2019. He would probably know that bisexuals exist. Yes, and I, I felt like the um, the wrapping up stories with relationships between confused guys that you know. Or, or just in general, that are kind of toxic and kind of not figuring it out. I feel like he's fleshed out better in later movies he's done. Yeah. Um, 
And that was really my, my biggest problem with the rewatch through of Chasing Amy is that I don't feel like any of the characters learn anything. Uh, and and uh, at least at least at least Jason Lee. Oh, definitely know? not. And Jason Lee never learns anything. But that's kind of my but 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 they kind of give you a um, they kind of give you a payoff to that in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Where it's like, oh, no, no. OK, so 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 he ended up accepting the fact that he was gay and now he's kind of better, but still, you know, Jason Lee. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, it just I, I, I watch it again now and I'm like, because he just embodied everybody's shitty um, uh, homophobe friend in that movie. Yeah. I just sat there and every word he said watching through it now, I'm like, oh, this makes me so angry. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is particularly crin- Banky is cringy as hell. Bank- and it's a shame because I, I love Jason Lee. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And and it, it just, I guess, a testament to probably how good he is as an actor that he nails that. But I can't help but think that, you know, also that, you know, some of that's just, you know, how you and your buddies talk in 1994. You know, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, yeah, I lived through this. I don't want to go back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've gotten better. And that's the important thing. Like everybody's gotten better. Not everybody, but most people have gotten better. We've gotten better as a society. And that's kind of important. Uh, one thing that I do love about Chasing Amy, um, other than, you know, comics throughout. Yes. Was particularly the Chasing Amy comic at the end. Yes. I love that that was a... Uh, the cover was a parody of Young Romance. Um, yes, I think it was. One. And I loved that. I uh, I didn't realize that until I was an adult and like read through old you know romance comics. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, I know this. I know that image. That's great. Yeah, that it, it's really that movie is one of the last times he really leaned heavily into his comics. I mean, anytime you have Banky around. And Brody around, you, you kind of get the comic stuff back anyway. But that movie leaned so heavily into the imagery, into like the, and I, I really like that about it. It it was the geekiest mainstream Hollywood movie I had ever seen at the yeah. time. Because it's like, because he definitely had had worked his way through into the mainstream with that movie, but it mm-hmm. was still so him. It was, it was. such a big in joke, <laughs> you know, the whole thing, and I I love that about it. Say, and it was the last time that he really uh, it was the last time that he really sort of was almost limited in the way that uh, he had to make films because after that was Dogma where they basically just told him yeah just do whatever the hell you want oh yeah and Dogma Dogma holds up so well it does oh uh, Damon and Affleck bouncing off each other that's probably my favorite of the two of them and they film. did it as a favor. That's yeah. the coolest thing about that movie. Uh huh. And then made fun of that in Jane Silent Bob Strike yep. Back. Yep. Yeah. And sometimes you first, do a favor film from your friend who tells him first. Tells you, first you do the safe movie, then you do the weird movie, and then every once in a while you do the movie for your friend because he says you owe him. Yeah. <laughs> or I always liked Will Ferrell. That sounds like the plot of a bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't wait for a reboot. Um, I Jay and Silent Bob is one of my biggest guilty pleasure movies. Yeah. Um, I saw it nine times in the theater with my now wife. Like we we loved the hell out of that movie, <laughs> and so this reboot thing better be awesome because um, yeah, I mean it's a clever idea. I give it them is, a lot yeah. of credit. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I still haven't shown my wife that one. We've I, I showed her Dogma recently, and she loved that one, and Do- she. Had- 
she was the one who brought the Chasing Amy Blu-ray into the marriage. So nice. Yeah, Dogma's just got this weird mass appeal to it, and it's so weird. But yeah. so many people love it. And and I, it's again, it's another, it's got an earnestness to it. It's like you, it, it's a guy making a movie that obviously has a bone to pick with religion in general, but also a bone to pick with just society in general, but also is made by a guy who still to this day is a church going Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> that he, weirds me out. Yeah. He, he made a movie showing his own conflict and how he deals with that conflict when dogma came out i was still in catholic school so going to see that i'm just like wow he because people are like oh he makes a bastardization i go no he doesn't everything everything biblical in that movie is legit like (laughs) it's all legit like how it would look and be if it happened right now like (laughs) (laughs) i looking back on it i was working at blockbuster when dogma hit uh you worked at blockbuster oh yeah do you want to be on Talkbuster? I would love to be on Talkbuster. Let's make that happen. Shoot, shoot, as soon as we're done with this, which unfortunately is going to be soon because I realize yeah. we've gone for almost an hour and 45 minutes. Woo-hoo! Oh, wow. No, that's nice. okay, dude. This has been great. Uh, I, I hope you're having fun because I am. I'm having a blast, man. But, um, but I didn't know. Yeah, dude, I'm always looking for more people on Talkbuster too. But Oh, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I was working at Blockbuster when that hit um, a VHS. And I'm surprised I only had one person return it because of blasphemy. Yeah. Like, I, I expected so many more. Like, they, they couldn't get past the, uh, opening, the opening joke about the platypus. Oh, God. Like, they, 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 they got to that, and they were like, all right, I'm going to take this warning seriously. And they stopped it, and they're like, yeah, this is just really offensive to me. And I'm like, okay. Also, yeah, pick something I... else. I really wish Janine Garofalo would work with Kevin Smith again because I feel her brand of delivery and his writing go so well together. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would love to see her show up in one of his movies again. Because, I just want to see her in more stuff. Yeah, in general, true, but... truth be told. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I feel like they were a match made in heaven. Like, it, it uh-huh. should happen more. Agreed. All right. Remake so, of The Truth About Cats and Dogs. There you go. Directed <laughs> by Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah, God. Uh, but anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to wrap this thing up because it's right. late. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to um you know again hawk anything you want to hawk. Leave us with a final thought or a final you know quick topic, whatever whatever you want. It's your show. Okay. Uh. Well. Uh, there's you can uh. If you want to see some of the work that I do, you can either go to sequentially-yours.com. That's my comic book stuff. I've also been contributing writing to another YouTube show called Something Ghoulish, which is nice. um, exploring horror stuff. Um, I'll admit I'm sort of the background guy on that one, uh, but it is really very, very good. And I'm also frequently on the School of Movies podcast, and they are phenomenal, and I highly recommend them. Put in a uh, good word for me. I, I, I mean, th- we've already been talking, but I, yeah. I need to get on their show. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, you, I will definitely put in a good word for you. I think you would love being on their show. Awesome. Well, with that, I'm going to say that um, you'll be seeing um, um, my guest tonight back very soon on an episode of Talkbuster. But I'd like to thank <laughs> I'd like to thank you for shooting the shit with Chippa. And until next time, this has been Chris and Karu. All right, and we'll see you guys soon. Take care.